If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you, and what a very special Erev Shabbos it is. It is Shabbos Mubarakim. We are going to bless the new month of Shvat, the new month of Shvat which comes in on Monday. And the month of Shvat is a very special month. It's the 11th month of the year, and as such, it carries with it a distinction that no other month has. You know, we have all sorts of important numbers in Jewish life. There's number one, and number three, number seven, number eight, number ten. Number eleven, our mystics tell us, is a very special number because it's beyond the range of the ordinary. It's beyond the range even of the holy. It enters into a dimension of greatness. It speaks to us about, so to speak, the crown of the Almighty Himself. There is a structure, a structure that the Kabbalists speak about, and then there is, so to speak, the head of that structure. On top of the head is the Keter, is the crown. And the crown is something that we have to consider in terms of an extraordinarily great dimension of divine expression. And the eleventh dimension that's precisely the crown of God. And this is the 11th month, the month of Shvat. Because the months, of course, begin with the first month of Nisan, and it carries on throughout the year, Shvat being the 11th. And therefore, within the month of Shvat, there is that divine energy of the divine crown, the energy that, in a sense, carries with it a holiness, a blessing that's even higher than the holiness of ten. And this is why when we bless this Shabbos, when we bless the month of Shvat, we have to realize that what we are bringing into effect is a month of extraordinary power. It's a month that we are able to achieve great things, things that normally we can't achieve throughout the rest of the year. But during this month, the month of Shvat, we are able to bring about tremendous, tremendous change because the energy of the divine crown is right there. The 11th dimension, the 11th degree, the 11th month. It's also a month that is blessed with another dimension because every month has its respective corresponding tribe, head of tribe, that is connected with that month. And the tribe that's connected with the month of Shvat is none other than the month, than the tribe of Asher. And Asher, we are told, when he was blessed a couple of weeks ago, we read that, when he was blessed by his father Jacob, it says that Asher was blessed with Asher Shemena Lachmo. His bread had a fatness. It was rich in every sense of the word. In other words, the month of Shabbat has a richness. There was a lot of oil, a lot of olive groves in the portion of Asher's land in the Holy Land. And this oil again represents something which is above the ordinary. Oil which floats on top of water. Oil which represents a degree of greatness, of intellect which is in a sense almost transcendental. It goes beyond 
the logic. It goes beyond that which is normally understood. Oil represents a type of divine insight, a divine dimension of intellect which is greater than the ordinary, even than Chachmah. And this is something which happens during the month of Shvat. The representation of the tribe of Usher, which had the Shemena, the fatness, the oil, the wealth, the richness of intellectual insight. This is something exceptionally special that takes place during this month. And of course, during the month of Shvat, we celebrate Tubishvat. Tubishvat being the Rosh Hashanah, the New Year for Trees. And we, when we speak about these various festivals, we go according to the Northern Hemisphere. And in the Northern Hemisphere, Tubishvat is in the dead of winter. I grew up in Canada, and in the month of Shvat, the trees are absolutely barren, not a leaf. It looks as if those trees will never, ever flower again. They will never, ever grow again. They look absolutely dead. And this is in the dead of winter, December, January, February. And yet, our sages tell us that we celebrate the New Year for trees during this time. And one wonders why. Why don't we wait till spring? When we begin to see the buds of growth, when we begin to see the buds of change, why in the dead of winter when the trees are absolutely barren? And we're told because that's when the sap begins to flow deep within those trees. Within the tree, the sap begins to flow. And even though it's invisible to the human eye, nonetheless, this important critical change takes place which enables which enables the growth and change to take place in the spring months. Shvat is a month where extraordinary things take place even though they're not visible to the human eye. Even though we don't see it. Even though they're not there in front of us. But deep within that tree, from its roots, the sap begins to flow. What appears is a dead tree in the dead of winter. It's cold. It appears as if nothing will ever grow on that tree again. And yet some months later, it begins to blossom. It begins to change. Leaves, fruit, the beauty of what that tree can produce. And this is something which the month of Shvat brings with it. It brings with it the potential change that's going to take place, the growth, the beauty, the tremendous opportunity that's there. And this is why this Shabbos, Shabbos Mevorchem Shvat, when we are going to bless the new month of Shvat, we have to consider these things. This is not an ordinary month. This is another month in the months of the year. This is the 11th month, the month of the crown. This is the month that has the tribe of Usher, which was blessed with much oil, with greatness, with wealth, with a richness of deep intellect and understanding. This is the month that has Tu Bishvat, the Rosh Hashanah, 
of the trees, when even though we don't see it, what we see is the exact opposite, but deep within that tree, dramatic, critical and powerful change is taking place. This is what we celebrate the Shabbos. It's important for us to understand something like that, because often when we look at life, we always want to see the obvious. We want to see something that we understand. We want to see something that we recognize. We want to see something that we're familiar with. We don't want to see something like, well, it's deep, it's hidden, it's contained, it's not revealed. We want to see something that we know and we understand and we recognize. The month of Shvat comes along and tells us that the greatest blessing, the greatest opportunity, the greatest revelation takes place not on the obvious level, not on the revealed level, not on the level of recognition and simplicity. The greatest opportunity, the greatest potential, the greatest blessing takes place on levels that we don't see. And we have to exercise tremendous faith. We have to exercise tremendous devotion to recognize that particular dimension. This is what the month of Shvat is all about. And this is why the celebration of this Shabbos Mavarcham, the celebration of blessing this month, is so very important. Because it reminds us how to recognize, not that which is visible, but that which is invisible, that which is hidden, that which is contained within, well, something that we don't see at all, but we know that it's there. And this gives us strength, this gives us hope, and this gives us courage. This is what the month of Shvat is all about. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the ability of recognizing that which is not visible, of seeing something which is, well, not in front of our eyes, but we know instinctively with faith, with understanding, that great treasure is hidden there. And the maturity of life is to know and to understand that something of extraordinary greatness is contained within the hidden. This is something which is important to understand. It's important to understand that as human beings, and as I mentioned before, we tend to recognize that which is in front of our eyes. But we have the capacity, we have the ability, and we need to develop that ability to recognize that which is contained and hidden as well. And this is what the Parsha is all about, Va'era. Va'era is the second Parsha in the book of Shemot, which began last week. Tremendous fanfare, tremendous opening of the second book of the five books of Moses. It begins with, these are the names of the people that came down to Egypt. A tremendous story of how a family turned into a nation. Jacob's family of 70 souls becomes a powerful, great nation. But unfortunately... As often happens throughout and happened throughout history, a king who should have remembered and recognized the greatness that Joseph and the Jewish people did for his nation, he turns on the Jewish people. He turns on them and he enslaves them. And for hundreds of years, the Jewish people go through the painful indignity of being slaves onto Pharaoh. And God calls Moses 
famous story of the burning bush in the wilderness, and he tells Moshe, you are going to go to Egypt, and you're going to deliver my people out of Egypt and bring them to the mountain so they can serve me. Moshe resists. Moshe feels as a humble person that had somebody else been chosen, they would do a better job. But God says, no, you are the one. Moshe returns to Egypt, and he shows the Jewish people the signs that God gave that he is the one who is going to deliver them from slavery to great freedom. After all, the second book is called the book of Exodus. What happens? Is Pharaoh impressed with what Moshe has to say to him? No. In fact, he only enslaves the Jewish people even more. And Moshe turns to God and he says, why have you mistreated this people so badly? And the parsha this week opens up by God, in a sense, rebuking Moshe and saying, you know, I appear to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they never ever questioned what I did. And you, look at you. Why do you question what I do? I will fulfill my promise to the Jewish people. I will deliver them. I will take them out. I will show them with great glory my might and my power, I will crush Pharaoh, I will destroy Egypt, etc., etc., etc. And as the story develops and unfolds in this week's Parsha, the beginning of the ten plagues, the blood, the frogs, etc., 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 a systematic dismantling of the most powerful nation on earth. But one wonders, who is Moshe? Moshe is the greatest believer of all times. He is the most loyal person, God himself says, in my entire home. He is the most trusted and trustworthy person. Is there any individual greater than Moses? Absolutely not. Moshe is the one who is entrusted with delivering the Jewish people out of Egypt. Moshe is the one who is given the Torah to bring down to the Jewish people. Moshe is the symbol of perfection within the Jewish nation. Always has been, always will be. How is it, how is it that Moshe challenges God's actions? He turns to God and he says, why have you mistreated these people? Doesn't Moshe know that there is purpose to God's actions? Doesn't Moshe know that God is doing something for a greater and deeper reason? Moshe, after all, we are told, was known as the Raya Mahemna. He is the one who nurtures faith among the Jewish people. Not only is he himself the ultimate believing person, he is the one who nurtures faith in the hearts and souls of each and every single Jew. How is it that this individual, who is the example of perfection when it comes to loyalty and faith to God, how come he challenges the actions of God and in a sense God has to rebuke him it doesn't make sense Moshe is the most perfect of people why would he do what he does and the answer lies in the fact precisely because he is the perfect individual it's precisely because of that that he challenges the actions of God not because he doesn't believe he knows full well that God will fulfill his promise in the fullest sense of the word. 
He knows full well that there is great reason for why God is doing what he's doing. But he wants to, and he does anticipate the questions that the Jewish people themselves might have. And for whatever reason, the Jewish people themselves might not have the strength or the courage to ask God that question. Or they might be too upset or too hurt or too pained to ask that question. And therefore, in order to ensure that the question is asked on their behalf, he asks that question. He puts himself at risk in order to ensure that the question that should be asked is asked not because he questions the actions of God. Quite to the contrary, he understands and fully knows that the actions of God are for good and great purpose. But he wants the Jewish people to understand that as well, that the question should be asked and the answer should be given. That the answer which is so full as we read in the beginning of the Parsha where God says again and again and again that I will fulfill my promise. He says, go to them and tell them that I will take them out from under the pressure and strain of Egypt. I will save them. I will take them. I will bring them to the land. He wants the Jewish people to hear those words. Because as a leader, he feels that perhaps the Jewish people themselves at this particular moment don't have the capacity of recognizing that which is not visible, what we spoke about before. Not everyone has the ability to see that which is hidden. Most people see that which is obvious. Most people see that which appears. Most people see that which is on the surface. Most people don't see that which is contained. And it takes a leader who is concerned, who is compassionate, who is devoted to his people. It takes a leader like Moshe to strip away that which is obvious, that which is visible, and to show that you Jewish people look beneath Look at the real reason why God is doing this. God is not punishing you. God is not hurting you. What God is doing is not an action that is there to make you suffer. It might appear challenging and difficult for a moment. But this action itself is an action that will bring with it incredible blessing beyond any type of measure. A blessing that could not come in a revealed sort of way. It could only come within the hiddenness of the way God chose to perform the particular acts that he does. God is not rebuking Moshe as such. God is merely responding to a question where Moshe is opening the eyes of the Jewish people. We, you and I, we are privy to this incredible conversation between Moshe and God. We read the story, and what do we hear? Yes, we can take the story and say, ah, Moshe made a big mistake. Moshe couldn't understand what God was doing, and God had to rebuke him. And we can stop there. And that would be a terrible mistake. That would be misreading the situation completely. But we being privy to the story, we are being taught an incredible lesson. Strip away the obvious. Listen to what God says afterwards. The overtures of Moshe 
is not to challenge the words of God or not to question the words of God. It's to bring out a deeper revelation from God so that we can understand what in fact is taking place. It's shining a light on the hidden. It's exposing, it's revealing, it's telling the Jewish people, it's telling you and me what in fact an action that appeared to be challenging and difficult in actual fact is a tremendous, tremendous expression of love, of concern, of blessing, of greatness. This is what Moshe does. In asking the question that he does, he takes away the facade of difficulty and exposes the inner dimension of blessing, exposing the inner dimension of greatness. And this is what Va'era is all about. This is how it begins. He says, I appear to the patriarchs, but I never really showed them my true essence. But to you and to the people of this generation, he says to Moshe, I am going to show you my very essence. I am going to show you who in fact I really am. And while, of course, the patriarchs never challenged the word of God, never questioned the word of God, they were men of great faith, great devotion, but still their understanding of God in relationship to Moshe and the people was limited. Can you believe that? This is what Torah is telling us. It is precisely as a result of living through a challenge and Moshe exposing the inner dimension of that challenge as to what it truly means that the Jewish people have insight into the ways of God, into the actions of God, and more importantly, into the difficult and challenging actions of God. And this is the prelude. This is the opening dimension to the Ten Plagues. The Ten Plagues, as I said before, is going to be a systematic dismantling of Pharaoh and Egypt. What is it that Pharaoh says when Moshe initially comes to him and says, God told me to tell you to let my people go so they could serve me? What is Pharaoh's response? Is it an arrogant, simple? No, it's not. What does he say? He says, I don't know this God. Pharaoh is no stupid person. Pharaoh knows his place in the world. He is a powerful man. But he says, I am in charge of the physical world. This God that you talk about, he might exist in the far realms of spiritual greatness, but he has no authority here below. He has given over that authority to us, to human beings. And this is why the purpose of the plagues, the purpose of everything, is to reveal even to Pharaoh that there's a God in the world, to strip away his blindness so that he begins to recognize that God not only creates the world, but God is in charge of the world as well. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about how to recognize that which is not visible. And this is something which Moshe did for the Jewish people by questioning the actions of God on their behalf. And this is why, when it came to Pharaoh, the ten plagues, Moshe does the exact same thing. Because Pharaoh's response to Moshe, when Moshe says, let my people go so they can serve God, 
What was Pharaoh's response? As I said before, he said, no, I don't know that God. So Moshe, not with so many words, but through his actions, through the great plagues, Moshe says, you know what, Pharaoh? I am going to teach you that there is a God upon this world. Because if God simply wanted to destroy Egypt, if God wanted to destroy Pharaoh, he could have done it with a snap of a finger. He could have done it in one instant. God? God controls the whole world. God could have destroyed Egypt and Pharaoh in one instant. But that was not the purpose. The purpose was that Pharaoh and Egypt should recognize that there is a God upon this world, and it's to that God that you're accountable. Your behavior, your actions, what you do, how you run this world. You can't simply live however you want without any accountability whatsoever. You can't take a people and enslave them for hundreds of years and think to yourself that you can get away with it. And when you're challenged, all you say is, I don't know that God, because that God is not part of your personal philosophical faith system and structure. You will have to recognize that there is a God. And this is why every single time a plague takes place, what happens? God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And although initially he turns to Moshe and to Aaron and says, please ask God to bring the water back and take the blood away. Ask God to take these frogs away, these lice away, these wild animals away. But as soon as God does that, what happens? He quickly changes his mind. Because he's not fully convinced that God is within this world. Pharaoh thinks to himself, a temporary apparition. It didn't really happen. God is not really interested what happens in this small physical world. God is too busy with this huge, huge universe that he created. God is too busy with this incredibly infinite creation that he brought into being. God cannot be concerned with the actions of individuals, of human beings, of nations, of people, of kings. He leaves that to us human beings. That's the thinking of Pharaoh. And that's why he says, I don't know this God. And that's why it's a step-by-step process. It's one plague after the other. And even though he is initially impressed to a certain degree, the moment the plague is gone, well, he changes his mind quickly because he says, no, God really is not concerned. God is not really concerned about the behavior of human beings. God is too big for that. And therefore, it's one plague after the other, after the other, so that ultimately Pharaoh will understand that the true infinity and greatness of God is not that he created this massive infinite universe. It's because the true infinity and greatness of God is as great as the universe is, so does God have the greatness to recognize and deal with the specific divine individual providence of each and every single detail within creation as well. That's our view, and that's what Pharaoh has to come to understand, and until he does, it will be a slow process of crushing and breaking the might and power of Egypt.
And that's precisely what takes place. It's exposing more and more of the greatness of God that is contained within the natural order that Pharaoh refuses to see. And Moshe step by step reveals more and more of that which is hidden. On the one hand, he does it for the Jewish people by asking the question of God, why have you mistreated this people so much? They come to recognize that pretty quickly. With Pharaoh, it takes a long time. Far more painful, far more difficult. But ultimately, they begin to understand that as well. This is what the era is all about, and I have appeared. It's the revelation of God which comes through a process of exposing that which is contained and that which is hidden. And this is why, well, if you're in shul tomorrow, I encourage you to go if you can, if you're concerned about it, you'll sit at home. Listen to the Parsha carefully. You might know the story. You say, oh, I know the story about the ten plagues. Every year on Pesach, I sit at the Seder and we go through that whole, whole story. No. Listen to the story. Listen to the words of Moshe as he speaks together with Aaron as he speaks to Pharaoh. Listen to the response of Pharaoh. Listen to what happens. Listen to how it all takes place within each and every single word, within each and every single detail. There are tremendous lessons to be learned. Listen carefully, and as I always say, listen to that particular message that is unique to you, something that will reveal a dimension of godliness to you, specifically to you, because that's the message you have to hear. So I'm going to wish each and every one of you the ability to hear that story, to hear that incredible story, to hear a story of revelation, to hear a story of digging deep within the obvious, deep beyond that which simply appears, and to recognize a deeper and greater truth. To realize that this Shabbos Mavarchim, the 11th month, the month of the crown, the month of the tribe of Asher, of richness, of greatness, the month of Tubishvatum, well, the trees are barren in the northern hemisphere, but the sap is beginning to flow. This is a month with all sorts of incredible things. A parasha with all sorts of incredible things are taking place beneath the surface, and we have to recognize that which is taking place. So have a magnificent month, and have a good Shabbos.